Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, your host from Nashville. And we are so delighted today to have Mr. Jim Cathcart with us. Jim's accomplishments are such that we could spend the entire podcast just talking about them. But what I'd like to do is to say that he is a person who is dedicated to helping people achieve the potential that is inside each of them. In fact, his book, The Acorn Principle, really breaks down the whole notion of self-awareness and self-knowledge and helps us to become our very, very best person. But that's just one of only 19 books that Jim has authored. He's also been inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame and has their highest distinction, the Certified Speaking Professional, and in fact is rated as one of the top 1% of all professional speakers in the world. He's award-winning, and most importantly, he's a difference maker. He's a past president of the National Speakers Association. So imagine that, a room full of professional speakers and to be the one that's elected to be their president. And no listeners. And no <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Lots of talkers. Uh, Jim has given over 3,200 professional speeches all over the world, has addressed every possible industry, every profession, and he right. consults and advises some very, very successful people. And yet at the basics, he is just a down-to-earth person. He's a motorcycle rider. He's a trail runner. He is a musician, guitar player, and singer who performs clubs, events, and actually a professional in that regard as well. Uh, his real specialty is practical psychology. It's not theoretical. It's applied behavioral science, and he focuses on totally helping people succeed. He's got a video on TEDx that's already reached one and a half million views, and has just returned from his 10th lecture tour to China. So, Jim Cathcart, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you very much, Dan. Great to be with you. And I love Nashville. Nashville, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Nashville was my dream uh, location. So I was going to move there. My, when I got married in 1970, I aspired to be a singer and, and guitarist, and I was playing in clubs. And what I figured I'd do is I'd move to Nashville, get a day job, like at a bank or something, and in the evenings, play guitar and sing, and then take lessons whenever I could and wait to be discovered and make my big career. But things changed along the way, and I got interested in this field of personal development and have had a really, really good run of it, and I am just warming up. Well, that is exciting. Well, well, tell me a little bit more about how you got interested in it and how that transferred into this life-changing impact that you've had for so many years on so many people. Well, when I was in my late 20s, I was 26 years old, um, I was working for the Little Rock Housing Authority, Urban Renewal Agency. Mm -hmm. I was making $525 a month, and I was newly married. I was 50 pounds overweight, smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, had no college degree, no money in the bank, no connections in the community, had never been an athlete or a superior student, and so I didn't, didn't expect much from life. But I figured I'd be a nice person, have a, a reasonable life, and then die at whatever the statistical average age was for my gene pool. 
And then one day I was sitting there bored to tears because I was assistant to a man that didn't need one. And um, in the next room, the radio was playing Earl Nightingale, mm. the dean of personal motivation back then. And he was on 900 stations around the world. And he said that day something that changed the direction of my life. He said, if you will spend one hour extra every day studying the field you've chosen, in five years or less, you'll be a national expert in that field. So I did the math in an hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year, totals 1,250 hours over five years. Well, if you or I focused on one topic for that long, on any topic, we would become one of the leading experts. And I thought for the first time in my life, wow, I could be somebody. I could make a difference. I could matter. And so my whole psyche started rearranging after that. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought about maybe being a lawyer or being, you know, some some kind of a big deal, something. And then it hit me, I want to do what the guy on the radio is doing, but I had no idea what that meant. So I just became fanatical about studying the field of personal development and spent sometimes two, three hours extra a day, sometimes entire weekends, listening to recordings, going to meetings, uh, reading books, anything I could to develop as a, a success seeker, so to speak. Wow, that's fantastic. So the impact that you had from listening to Earl Nightingale really triggered an amazing fire for you to have a similar impact on other people and first yeah. to become expert in how to do that. And it was the first time in my life at age 26 that it had occurred to me that that was doable. That is amazing. Well, Earl Nightingale had a massive impact. And as one of his heirs, you have continued to have that impact. Thank but how you. did you how did you actually get started, Jim? You know, lots of people talk, but somehow you managed to not just talk, but impact and do it well. I had two vehicles. One was Earl Nightingale himself. I met a man named Harold Gash who was selling Earl Nightingale's audio recordings. Right. We're on cassettes and cassettes at that time were new. And, um, you know, we'd gone from records and, and uh, eight tracks to audio cassettes. And so that was a new thing. And I bought a little portable cassette player and some batteries to make it run. And then I listened to a couple of Earl Nightingale's recordings. And Harold Gash said to me, Jim, you ought to own this entire audio library. I said, great. How much is it? He said, $560. And I said, <laughs> I said, Harold, I only make $525 a month. And we've got a new baby, and my wife's a secretary at the bank, and she makes 400 And he said, well, if you'd listen to these recordings every day, it would change your worldview and change your life. And I said, well, you're right, but I just can't afford them. And he said, well, take them home, listen to them for a month. And at the end of the month, either figure out how to pay me or give them back to me. So I took these 48 recordings home and binge listened and and just i mean really really just constantly every minute of the day that i was not at work i was listening to these recordings which i'm sure drove my wife and little baby son nuts for the time um but it at the end of the month i was so over motivated that i couldn't even consider giving the tapes back 
And my wife said, why don't you keep them? And so I've worked out a payment plan and I kept them. And then I, the second thing that made the huge difference for me was I joined, I found my vehicle. I joined the Junior Chamber of Commerce, the JCs. Now, at that time, the JCs were huge. They had 350,000 members. They were all over the country. Arkansas alone had 280 chapters. Um, today, the JCs have maybe, I don't know, 65, 70,000 members. So it's just a shadow of its former self. But at that time, it was enormous. And the purpose of JCs, unlike Rotary or Lions or whatever, is leadership training for young adults. And the way you get the leadership training is you do community projects and you plan them in advance in writing. You submit the plan. You get approval from your JCs chapter. Then you do the project and then you summarize it and you submit it for recognition at the end. And so every time you do something, whether it's a March of Dimes walkathon or painting the local Boys and Girls Club, it's done with a plan, an intention, an outcome, measurement, et cetera. And you become a better and better leader and you learn how to recruit other people to your cause, how to find resources when you don't have money, how to motivate people to be involved and how to keep records. So I did four hundred JC's meetings in two years. Four hundred in two years. After working on weekends for free. And I was only making 525 a month. So I was hyper, hyper, hyper motivated. And that became my my crucible, my my learning lab, you know. At 400 meetings, you know, after the first hundred or so, you get pretty good at meetings. And by the second hundred, I was in demand all over the state as a speaker at, at uh, JC's meetings. And so that one thing led to another, you know, opening the opportunities for me. And I ended up on their national headquarters staff in Tulsa in charge of leadership training, earning now a thousand a month. Wow. Well, and yeah. The country. That is incredible. So because you were, as you put it, hyper-motivated, because you were willing to invest your time, your spare time, weekends, evenings, studying, learning, getting involved with JCs, honing your craft, you doubled your income. Oh, yeah. And then, and then again. And then two years later, I, I launched out on my own as a professional speaker. And at first, I was teaching other people's courses and then my own later on. But the income went, my first year, I was making 18000 at the JCs in year two. And uh, my first year as a full-time speaker, I made 18000 And my wife as a secretary at that time in Tulsa made 10000 So she quit her job at the end of that year and helped me out a little bit in the office. And the next year, my income jumped to 32000 and then sixty-four, and then eighty-nine, and then 117 and then on up from there. So boom, 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 boom you know. And then I moved to California, formed a partnership with Dr. Tony Alessandro, who was a college professor, and he couldn't believe I was making so much money as a speaker. So he left the university and threw in with me, and we both doubled our incomes, and we published books and you know just did all kinds of crazy things for five years, and then um, went back to being competitors and, and separate again, but still collaborating on projects and still best friends even today. 
That's awesome. Well, watching your hand gestures, when you talked about your income, boom, 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 boom. It reminded yeah. me of time-lapse photography of an acorn turning into a mighty oak. I wonder oh, if there's a coincidence you. there. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I've got uh, a bowl of acorns over here. I'll show you. All right. That would be fantastic to see that. I've got a big oak tree in my backyard. I think I'm going to look at it very differently after this presentation. I don't know if you can see it. Yes. These are acorns from all over the world. Oh, fantastic. There's acorns from France and acorns from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and acorns from Belgium and China and, you know, all kinds. Well, that is spectacular. I've run into lots of collections, but never an acorn collection before. <laughs> But it, it says it says a great deal. Uh, the acorn principle is that we all have masses of potential inside of us, but most of us never let it germinate. We never put it out there. There we go. That's not shameless. That's not shameless self-promotion. I brought it up. <laughs> the, the acorn principle actually is the seed of your future. Literally, the seed of your future successes already lives within you. Mm -hmm. So figure out what kind of seed that is and then nurture your nature. In other words, become better and better of what at what you're naturally suited for. Like Peter Drucker used to say, you develop the strengths and you make the weaknesses irrelevant. I love it. <laughs> you're a talented impressionist. Also, Rich Little would be happy right now. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, Jim, despite the amazing successes you've had and knowing a lot of people in the National Speakers Association, you are just at the very pinnacle. But surely along the way, you have been just trucking along, moving fast, and all of a sudden there was a brick wall, a barrier, barbed wire, electrified fence, something you were not expecting. Your nose got pushed sideways. Yeah. What, what, what would you do when you face one of these, oh my gosh, where did that come from, setbacks? Well, I had one where I'd gotten into a business with another guy who I thought had my best interest in mind, but he only had his own. Mm. And uh, this was not Tony Alessandro. Tony's my best friend and definitely not him. But anyway, I got into this business and I mortgaged my home and invested all that money with this guy. And we started a, a, a new venture together. And then about uh, 18 months to two years into it, I, had, I was generating 100% of our income. He was generating none. and um, I said to him, you know, I'm only making money when I make a sale and I'm making all the sales, but I'm not building equity. You're building equity. So we need to restructure our deal so that I can build equity. He said, no. I said, that's not an acceptable response. He said, well, he said, Jim, um, I got what I wanted from this partnership. The fact that you didn't is not my problem. You made a bad deal. I didn't. And I, I, I was stunned. I mean, that took my philosophical breath away as well as my physical breath. And I, I just I didn't know how to respond to that because I'd never been openly, blatantly betrayed and, and manipulated, uh, exploited like that before. And uh, I said, well. You know, it wasn't your problem yesterday, but it is now because this thing is over. 
And we ended up in a lawyer's office settling all this. And I just told him, look, keep my money and stay out of my life. And it took me almost two years uh, on a psychological level to really rebound from that. I mean, if you'd met me during that time, you'd have said, well, Jim's doing fine. But I didn't have my real energy there. And it was you could tell something was missing if you knew me, you know. Um, and then I ran into a literary agent and she said, what's what's going on with you? And I told her and she said, well, why don't you do a book on this? And I said, well, I, I don't know. She said, come with me. And we went to New York City and we went around to all the major publishing houses and told my story. And they said, or three of them said, we'll take the book. Hmm. And I went with the first one, which was St. Martin's Press. And the book became The Acorn Principle. And um, it just, that was a, a major turning point. But I was rebounding, you know, she got me on the rebound from a, a pretty devastating personal experience because I had been all in and this other guy had his toe in the water, you know. Right. But you emerged from that with your values intact and a really clear way that you wanted to do business with people in the future. Some people True. would just get bitter. And obviously yeah, you've gotten you better. Well, that's a good way to characterize it. Bitter and better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I wasn't bitter. I was I was heartbroken. Right. You know, people say, well, you must hate him. No, I don't hate him. I, I, I hate the experience I had, but I. I was heartbroken I, because I had. You know, it's like I said, I do till death do us part. And he said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Mm. Right? <laughs> really incredible. And and yet you transcended that. So in the process, you learned a lot about that inner awareness, that self-knowledge, because you had to. You had to keep putting one foot in front of the other, despite this devastating True. tear away. And yeah. And I had to be I was doing, I don't know, 70 or 80 talks a year. Uh, so I'm flying around the country, standing up in front of large groups and, and motivating them and inspiring them when I had one department in my corporate inner structure that had shut down for the for the time being. So really, the lesson there is that a person can keep moving and putting one foot in front of the other. They may not be fully complete on the inside yet because they're healing. But at the same yeah. time, on the outside be responsible, do the right thing. And you have to, you, you got to allow for that. You know, people say, oh, well, I'll get over it. Uh, no, no. You know, emotional healing has its own time schedule. And, and we don't know what that time schedule is, nor are we capable of discovering it. All we can do is allow it to occur. Intellectually, that time schedule we can run. You know, we can be in charge of our physical and our intellectual time schedule, but not our emotional. So if you experience a tragedy or, or something like that one, you know, whether it's a loss of a loved one or, or a huge heartbreaking life disappointment or something, you're going to go through the grief cycle and the, and the recovery cycle. And if you try to fight it, it's going to go longer and be more severe. So what you've got to do is just make space for it. And when you feel that, you know, the engines are shutting down, then say, excuse me, and go be alone for a bit and just take care of yourself. You know, eat an ice cream, watch a movie, do something, but just allow a little healing, lick your wounds, you know? Right. 
some some self maintenance, and, and yeah. that's certainly when true. My mother passed away um, in 2010. She had a heart attack. She was in. She was 90 years old, and she was in a uh, retirement facility, um, and had a heart attack. And and she lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was in California. And I uh, immediately said, "I'll drop everything and come to Arkansas." She said, "No, no, no, no. You fulfill your responsibilities and get here when you can." Well, I had to go to Bogota, Colombia, and Santiago, Chile, for speaking engagements. Um, and so I did that, calling every day, two or three times a day to Little Rock on, you know, international calls to check on her. And then I looped back through Little Rock instead of coming back to California and spent some time with her and got her all handled and, and in a better place. But she kept declining. So I flew back to California, took care of some things, and then had to go back to Little Rock and then had to go to Canada and back to Little Rock and da 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 da, da over 45 days. Well, in the meantime, I got a call that Paula, my wife Paula's mother, had died just 13 miles down the road from where my mother lived. Mm. What? So her mom had died, and I went immediately to Little Rock and, and uh, spent a day or two with her dad while the family came together to, to be there for that. And then I had to fly to Lincoln, Nebraska, to be the opening keynote speaker for the 2010 USA Special Olympics. Wow. Their opening ceremonies, you know, 13,000 people, 3,600 special athletes, TV cameras from around the world, celebrities and huge names, and I'm the opening keynoter. That's not the sort of thing you say, well, my, you know, my family's got an emergency, I can't come. So I got permission from the family to go and I went and oh, what an ordeal flights canceled and stuff to make it worse. Of course, of course. I mean, why should it be easy? Right. Yeah. And so I got up and I did my thing in front of 13,000 people. It was a fabulous, wonderful, magical moment. Immediately jumped in a car, dashed to the Omaha airport miles and miles and miles away and flew back to Little Rock just in time to be a pallbearer at her mom's funeral. And then I went from there to be with my mom, who was now kind of curled in a fetal position and declining rapidly. And I took care of her as best I could. And then I flew back to California for a quick um, just problem solving thing. And while I was there, they called me and said, your mom just passed. Mm -hmm. So I flew back to Little Rock, did all the funeral arrangements and had a one person funeral and then flew back to California and held a memorial service with my family here. And uh, during that whole time, I never got sick. And, you know, they say the number one cause of illness would be high stress levels. Well, I was off the chart. Hmm. I'd lost Paula's mom and my mom and been through all this stuff, plus all those big events, all in one 45-day period. And because I was conscious of the need to allow my emotional healing and my physical and it really attend to my physical well-being, I was able to go through that passage and not have a, a breakdown that came at the end of it, you know, where I had to go have the flu for a month or something. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is a wow. remarkable lesson. It, it's, it's incredible because everybody goes through tragedy that the question is what did they do internally 
in response to that. We can't affect the tragedy that's happened. Yeah. What you're sharing are lessons on what we can do both preventatively so that we stay healthy and we're strong. As one of my colleagues who was in a horrible car wreck put it after her recovery, the time to develop emotional strength is not the minute you need it. It's no, that's before you need it. And you need to allow for the fact that you're not going to be the regular person you are at various points in this cycle. You know, it's going to ebb and flow and there are going to be days when you're a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to know that and not necessarily be okay with it, but at least allow for it and diminish the impact on other people. Right. It, like when I reached saturation point with what all was going on in Little Rock, I said to Paula's family, because I didn't have any surviving family, my sister had passed away, and that was the last one on my side. Uh, I said to her family, folks, uh, I need to be alone. Uh, Oh, no, you don't have to be, you know, oh, come on, you know, we'll be, no, 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 you don't understand. If I don't take time to be alone, I will be unpleasant to be around. So see ya. I'll be gone for several hours. I don't know exactly how long, but don't worry about me and don't don't reach out. I'm just going to go do something. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but what I ended up doing was going to a movie, which I couldn't tell you what the movie was. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there in the dark and ate popcorn and just healed. And healing can't be rushed. You've got to make time for it and let that occur. Yeah. And alone time, again, that's the self-awareness because you understood that that was essential to your own healing. Some people need to be with other people. The acorn principle does. It's a self-guided tour of what makes you you Mm -hmm. so that you can become more self-aware because you're right. That's where it all starts. For some people, that wouldn't be the best solution. They're better off to be with people because that's what they're like. But if we don't. That's my wife. Well, there you go. She could stay human contact 24-7 for eternity. Mm-hmm. For me, it's more like uh, 14, and then I need alone time. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. You need time with that guitar on the wall is what you need from time to time, right? Absolutely. Oh, I love it. Um, Jim, everybody has one thing in common when we're given another day. We start our day. Do you have a mental practice or a habit pattern that you've developed internally, mentally, physically to start your day first thing in the morning? You know, just letting my mind think about whatever it's interested in thinking about. Instead of starting my day immediately thinking about tasks, for example, when I go to breakfast, I, I love to go to breakfast alone and to just sit and think with a blank sheet of paper, not to go with a stack of work, but a blank sheet of paper and just think about whatever is meaningful at that point in my life journey. And I found that the notes that I produce from that are epic. I mean, look at this. Oh, my. It's like a mind map. And, you know, I've got page after page after page of these. And I date them so that I always know when I'm referring back when that particular page was created. And that one I showed you, that page of chaos right there. May 15th, 2015. And then revised September 19th, 2015, and then many times since. But things like that, I hang on to them and I review them. And then over time, I'll toss some of the old pages out. But 
it really helps to reload the database. So I can see that. That is such a brilliant idea because during the night, our thoughts supposedly get kind of reshuffled into different orders. And as we sleep, problem solving goes on in the subconscious. You start the day by saying, let's see what's in there. Let's let it come out. What are my concerns? What are my issues? That is fantastic. And I always try to be intentional about it, you know, to, to take, like, if I've got nothing on my mind, I might think, okay, how would the person I'd like to be approach this situation? Well, the person I'd like to be is a person who is inspiring toward others, uh, a person who's self-disciplined, a person who's fun to be with. And a person who finds deep meaning in life. So how would that version of me take this moment and use it well? You know, that is an incredible insight. How would the person I'd like to be approach this situation? Mm-hmm. Which avoids that mental roadblock of I can't, I'm just not ready. Yeah. I just don't know what to do. All Instead, of which need to be followed by the word yet. Yet. I agree with that a thousand and ten percent. completely agree. <laughs> Uh, the affirmation, I can't do that, uh, yeah. should be replaced yeah. by, I think I could do that. I just don't know how yet. Yep. So it goes a long, long way. Um, Jim, you're, you're, you're growing, you're moving fast, you're contributing, you're making a difference. So many people get to a certain point in life where they've had material success, recognitional success, and then they sit back and say, you know, I'm near the ocean. It's time to just kind of coast and lay on the beach and surf. Yeah, a bit. I don't get that. How do you I, avoid I, that? How do you avoid that? I'm 72 years old. This morning I did a five mile mountain trail run and hike. And it, it, it's kind of rainy out there. So it was in the mud and, and sludge with, with a couple of friends. And three days a week I do mountain trail running. I play guitar and sing, uh, and I ride my motorcycle around these beautiful mountain roads here near Los Angeles. Um, I'm constantly learning and reading and growing. Last year, I did 48 days of lecture in China, as well as my work in the USA, three separate trips. This year, it's February 1 right now, i already been to China for 10 days on a lecture tour and I'm going back in March and again in June and speaking to thousands of people at a time for six hours a day. And as part of that, I usually find an excuse to play the guitar and sing for them as well. And so I'm having experiences of a lifetime and I feel like I'm, I'm really coming into my own. I'm, I'm getting close to my, my big time, you know? Yeah. So book number 20 and beyond, they're going to be big hits. And um, I've recently recorded an audio album of my songs, went into a studio in Taiwan and recorded 19 songs. And uh, what else is going on? Ah, I don't know. I've got a wonderful family and I I love spending time with them. And my own son, 48 years old, is my best friend. That's so fantastic. Fantastic. Best news of the whole day to hear that. So uh, I, I appreciate that on a personal level. Well, well, Jim, I know you've had people approach you on all kinds of subjects. What would you say to somebody that is, they're, they're out of aces, as Kenny Rogers would put it. They're, they just, they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. How, what guidance, coaching could you give that person that just says, I don't know what to do? Uh, when your bucket's empty and when you feel like you've got no options, the answer is do something. What do you mean do something? I mean anything but do it intentionally like you could 
say, okay, I'm going to do something, but it's not going to matter much. What are you going to do? Uh, paint basketballs blue. Okay. If you're going to paint basketballs blue, do it well and think about how that might have some use beyond just you're doing it. But in the meantime, go get some basketballs and blue paint. You know, if you're going to collect, um, I don't know, rocks from the side of your driveway, collect the rocks in a pattern, you know, get smooth rocks and hard rocks and, and group them separately and then do some creative thinking. What could I do with a bunch of rocks? You know, make up something. I mean, heck, you know, that the creative impulse, that's the God in you, right? They say we're made in the, in the image of our creator. I don't think that means that we look like God. You know, he's got uh, brown eyes and it, no, no, it means <laughs> we are made, we are created to be creators. And we know that's a fact. No matter what your religion is, it's acknowledged worldwide that humans have the capacity to create to combine things in ways that have never been combined before, to come up with new ideas that haven't yet existed, and to find a way to build or create or design or whatever that thing. Um, so let your mind get creative and find some things that are minimally interesting to you and do those for a while while making space for something more interesting to emerge. Mm -hmm. And don't limit your input to one source. Don't just watch, say, CNN or just read the Wall Street Journal or just um, hang out with one group of people. Broaden, broaden your reach and get information from multiple sources, even sources that contradict each other, because it'll change your perspective and you'll start seeing connections that you never noticed before. When my son was in high school, that was during the days when Bob Marley and the reggae, the whole Rastafarian thing was popular. And I didn't know anything about it. So I tuned into a radio station on a drive to a speaking engagement in another city. And I listened for a few hours to just that kind of music. And then I learned the, the lingo and I learned, the, you know, the backstory on some of that stuff. And when I was with my son next, I was just dropping some casual comments about that. And he said, you know what that is? It, it, or a song was playing on the radio and I'd sing the lyrics to it. And he'd say, how did you know the lyrics to that song? And it was just because I knew it was in his world, but not in mine. So if I spent a little time walking through his world on the way to my next speaking engagement, then I could find a new way of communicating. And it worked. I did that kind of thing all the time. That's great. So when you said I shot the sheriff, he didn't call the cops. <laughs> no, but I didn't shoot the deputy down. <laughs> That's great. Jim, you have been a ray of sunshine on a, on a cloudy you. day here in Nashville. And I thank you for your heart and for your spirit, all the many things that you've shared. And just well, that I, I appreciate you saying that. Well, it's a fact. And all of our listeners are going to feel as I feel today better because you were a part of our day. So thank you so much. That's a big compliment. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.